Welcome to the New York City Healing Collective, where we amplify insights from people doing work at the intersection of healing, wellness, and societal transformation. This is your host, Angel Acosta. Let's dig in. Welcome, everybody. Uh, it is a pleasure to host uh, this episode. Uh, we're inviting Dr. Kia uh, Darling-Hammond. Um, she's with us today, a wonderful scholar, educator, uh, advocate, uh, just a wonderful uh, person and thinker uh, to, to be with today. Um, we want to honor her and also thank her for being um, on the show and on the podcast. Uh, we have been in, uh, took, took a little break to just really settle into the summer, into the pandemic summer. Um, so we've been uh, away from uh, this particular offering and we return and we bring you uh, our wonderful colleague, uh, Kia. Kia, welcome. We are so happy to, to have you with us. You know, we'll jump right in. And, and one of the first questions that I ask, that I ask my guests is, uh, how are you staying grounded these days? Well, hello, Dr. Angel. I am so um, thrilled to be participating in this uh, healing podcast, which is so important. And um, especially in this moment, as you mentioned, this pandemic. Um, right now, a couple of things are keeping me grounded. Uh, one is actually uh, the way that I'm focusing on the future. So this is a moment that feels crisis-laden because it is. And um, so just being maintaining a focus on what I'm hoping to accomplish and building toward very specific goals has been keeping me grounded. And then also focusing, um, sort of uh, reaching back into the past, into the lessons that our uh, forebears, our ancestors have learned and left for us, um, you know, helps me understand that this moment in time is uh, both unique and precedented in some ways. That mm. it's about time for this moment of uh, of revolution. Um, it's time for this moment of a reminder of the might and um, you know the danger of nature to some degree, and mm -hmm. uh, the importance of being. I really do believe that this is a lesson in mutuality. Mm. You know, that we're stronger together, that we're stronger when we care for one another, and that many of the things that are making this moment hard are the, the lessons we still have yet to learn as people, as human beings. And so um, that plus the relationships, the close relationships um, that I've been lucky enough to cultivate, those things keep me grounded. Yes, yes. I hear you. You know, we are um, facing, obviously, the public health emergency uh, that, that comes with the pandemic and COVID-19 and the ways that that has upended and disrupted our our, our normal lives, quote-unquote normal lives mm -hmm. over the last six to seven months. And, and we also, you know, as some scholars uh, playfully call, uh, you know, COVID-1619. Uh, and the, and the that's, that's exactly right. Yeah. And the other pandemic, uh, uh, you know, in the sense that mm -hmm. the structural violence uh, that comes from uh, the long-lasting legacy of 
of racism in this country. Um, mm-hmm. And uh, so we want to just take a moment and acknowledge, um, you know, all this summer, it's been, a, it's had a fever pitch when it comes to uh, black death, um, especially at the hands of uh, law enforcement. Um, we yeah. acknowledge um, Breonna Taylor, Elijah McClain, Tony McDade, Amount Erbery, and Jacob Blake, who this week um, was shot seven times in Wisconsin and just uh, wish him a speedy recovery. And just acknowledging that and, and really kind of lean into your work because uh, I think uh, your work is uh, provides uh, some space uh, to think about these issues uh, in a really promising context. Uh, I, one of the things that brought me to your work was really thinking about this notion of thriving. Um, and, and I thank, mm-hmm. I thank Dr. Yolanda Sili Ruiz for connecting us. Um, but I really wanted to have a conversation with you about this notion of thriving in your research. Um, so the, the first question I want to ask you is, how do you define thriving? Yeah, thank you. And I, you know, it's, it's always thrilling to talk about this conceptually. Um, I, uh, I don't have a concrete definition for thriving. And in fact, when I was doing my research, I uh, approached it phenomenologically so that I didn't impose a concept of thriving, but instead asked um, the participants to tell me what it meant to them and how it looked for them. Um, and it was fascinating to see how these dimensions emerged um, and how the sort of uh, the nature of thriving emerged. Um, mm-hmm. One thing I will say is that um, I, I did notice that thriving was bigger than resilience. Mm-hmm. So it was beyond surviving. It was beyond bouncing back. It was always something bigger, more vibrant, in that it was built on dreaming it was built on people's um insistence upon a future um and possibilities um and that it uh it was ephemeral in some ways it came and it went you know you thrive and you were not thriving Mm. um but also fascinatingly that um as people started to think about not just the concept of thriving but themselves as people who could or were even entitled to thrive it grew their capacity mm. to thrive grew, their thrived, thriving decision-making grew. Um, and so there were these things about thriving in general that were really interesting. Um, I think uh, we talked about um, in earlier conversations the ways that it relies upon um, defiance, mm-hmm. right? A refusal of uh, constraining ideas and that um, there's actually profound power in asking about it. Mm-hmm. People often said, actually almost unanimously, um, have said during my study and since that nobody's ever really asked them to think about themselves that way as someone mm. who could thrive yeah. um, or, or should thrive. And that because of that, possibilities for themselves and for others had opened up broadly. So <laughs> at the risk of being long-winded, I'll describe the the six dimensions of thriving that have surfaced and then been reinforced in ongoing conversations. Yes. And I want to talk about, thank you. (laughs) And I want to talk about how this work is grounded in the stories and lived experiences of black and African diasporic, uh, young, trans, queer, uh, bisexual, lesbian, gay, and same gender loving youth Mm -hmm, and young mm -hmm. adults. 
and has since, it's interesting, you know, grounding it there gave us an opportunity to really think about it from a perspective that isn't studied. And mm-hmm. since doing the work, it has resonated beyond that community. So here, here are the dimensions that came up as the stories were told. And the first one, and probably the most important, is community. Uh, and we know that there's a profound social dimension to well-being, but in particular, community with this cohort of young people was, it emphasized chosen family. It emphasized, um, which are, you know, that's close kinship, non-biological kinship relationships that you can develop with people who become family but are not from your family of origin. Um, also, social justice activism as part of community, not just the ways that their love for community pulled them into activist work, mm-hmm. but the ways that they then also found affinity community through activism and the ways that that became a site of healing and well-being for them. Mm-hmm. And so that the, the community dimension is really, really, really important, but it has to be nuanced along those lines. That's the first. Selfhood is huge. And in particular, you know, it's knowing yourself and accepting and loving yourself and then also asserting your true self out into the world mm. and in particular the the importance of being resistant or defiant in the face of how society might try to define you mm-hmm. um, and insisting upon uh, selfhood that is full and true rather than compliant or even in some cases safe that there was no thriving without that work of of really honoring the true self and the true voice, which was mm. really interesting. And that intersected with community because in many cases, finding self was related to finding affinity community and seeing possibilities for yourself reflected back to you in an honest way, without mm-hmm. stigma, without shame. And then uh, the third dimension is abundance. And so, again, abundance, of course, we all want it. It's more than sufficiency. It's more than survival. It's having the resources, material, uh, spiritual, you know, all of the different kinds of resources that you need to be responsive to needs and desires. But, again, when we nuance that, that includes having affordable health care. That includes being able to fast track something like top surgery so that um, you can become more fully yourself. Mm. So, or having the resources to travel to a festival with your friends and that, right. And that festival is focused on you, people like you, right? Lesbians, Mm. black lesbians, um, or going to a yoga class that's taught by queer people of color and centers different bodies and centers different ways of living in the world so that you don't feel uncomfortable about doing healing work. And so all of these things are an important part of abundance. And then pleasure. And again, of course, we all need to be happy if, uh, you know, happiness can be healing. Uh, Experiencing profound joy is important. Experiencing Mm -hmm. profound joy as a Black, queer, trans, or non-binary young person can be complicated. It can be fraught. And so when we look at what's possible for thriving through the lens of pleasure and we look at it through the lens of particular experiences, it shifts things around, right? Being Mm -hmm. in joyful community as a queer youth can be very challenging, especially if you're looking for affinity community, 
because it's not actually always easy to find people who mm-hmm. are out or ha- fully realized and it's not safe in many, many places. And so, mm. you know, pleasure is really, really important. Pleasure is also taboo, right? Queer pleasure is treated as taboo, but in mm-hmm. the thriving, it's not, you know? So imagine being gay and 12 and able to date openly the mm. way that a straight 12-year-old could, for example. Mm. So those kinds of things. Then the fifth dimension is relief. Um, and you'll notice, of course, these are all interrelated. Yes. You know, and uh, really forms of relief um, can be very particular. And in every thriving narrative, the feeling of thriving and vibrancy came in the wake of a very large loss of worry or a very large loss of unsafety. In other words, there was a moment of relief that was deep mm. um, and that made thriving possible, that feeling, that experience of thriving possible. When one person told me about how they, their um, journey into college and moving onto campus coincided with their mother exiting an abusive relationship mm. and home. And how this young person had been unable to really focus on themselves or their future because they were so deeply concerned about this, um, the unsafety that was at home and their mother. Um, they're the um, child of an immigrant mother who had been a single mother for a period of time and had um, been in this relationship for survival reasons, right? Mm-hmm. And it ended up threatening survival. So suddenly, this big release opened up space for this young person to achieve a series of self-actualizing things mm. that felt abundant, that were pleasurable, that were in community, that advanced their selfhood, and mm. so on. And so these these are sort of these five dimensions come together. And whenever people felt like they were strong in all five, they were telling me stories about how they could simply be. Mm-hmm. And I call this the sixth dimension, the composite dimension, where you can just be who you are, mm-hmm. uncontested, loved, supported, seen, known, in joyful community without fear. Mm. So that's driving. Yes, yes. Thank you so much <laughs> for laying that out. And I just want to remind folks of the dimensions uh, first community selfhood abundance pleasure relief and as you said the composite dimension uh, being being just being Mm -hmm. being able to show up to a space to a classroom to a company to whatever social context in which you're in or community your whole self, full self, fully yes. embracing that yes. authentic you in its yes. in your imperfection and perfection at the same time. And uh, I, I just want to appreciate your work and, and kind of situate it in the larger historical trajectory of thinking about thriving, at least in, in the kind of Western academic uh, context. We, we want to just acknowledge the work that the field of positive psychology has done to, to, to think about human flourishing, to think about um, thriving. So acknowledging, you know, we can name a bunch if we wanted to, you know, Martin Seligman and others who, who really right. uh, supported uh, the field of psychology in particular 
to move away from just thinking about pathology and what's wrong mm -hmm. with people and what's wrong with people to just kind of really shifting the narrative and thinking about well, what's right with people. What are the conditions for people to actually grow and to mm -hmm. flourish? I just wanted to acknowledge that and situate your work within that larger uh, kind of trajectory and also even go a little deeper uh, because we know that the social emotional learning movement um, and then the mindfulness movement um, all kind of coalesce to, to, to support the momentum that, that, that now mm -hmm. human flourishing is experiencing as far as, as an academic and a professional focus. But I actually, mm -hmm. you know, I remember talking to you before about this and just had a wonderful conversation um, with you. And I remember that some of the first, um, my first exposure to notions of thriving were when I was in my undergraduate studies looking at Aristotelian ethics. Mm -hmm. You know, let's go deep, <laughs> let's go deep. You know, we know that uh, some of the first writings on thriving, at least in the Western tradition, uh, come from right. uh, Aristotle talking about this notion of eudaimonia. Eudaimonia kind of uh, really means is is thriving. Is is what are the conditions? Mm -hmm. Yeah, what are the conditions for well being? How how do you live a good life? How do you live a yeah. good life? Uh, and mm -hmm. it's a kind of a um, a kind of a dialectical relationship, right? On the one hand, you, you you the conditions need to be put in place or in place for you to be and for you to thrive, and at the same time, there is this interiority that has to be cultivated. And you know, according to Aristotle, you know, you, you develop the virtues and you live a virtuous life. Uh, but right. we know that the Western canon is not the only place we can find thinking around thriving. We can look at the I Ching. We can right. look at African cosmology and Ubuntu. I am because yes. you are. Yes. Right? So I yes. thrive. I yes. thrive because you thrive, that, sister. So, and that is that is that. Yeah. And that in the indigenous um, discourses on community resilience are mm. all about that critical interconnectedness and mutuality. Yeah, tell me more about that. That are on that bridge to thriving. Mm. Well, I feel like you really encapsulated it. <laughs> Well, well, that's I want, it. That's yeah, it. It, it, it yeah. comes down to it comes down to us, us together. Yes. Um, being seen, being loved, loving, seeing um, that that uh, reflection of the self that happens through community and the reflection that you provide to other people in community that is so fundamental to just basic being okay in addition to being better than okay. Yeah, and, and part of basically being okay and being more than okay, from what I hear from you, there's this kind of feeling of being seen, being seen, yes. being acknowledged. And it reminds me of uh, sister, uh, Dr. Fania Davis. You know, she has yes. been a wonderful, uh, just legal and, and just a scholar, but also restorative mm -hmm. justice, restorative justice advocate. Yes. And it was from her that I that I learned of the African, um, uh, really Zulu uh, saying "sawabona," "sawabona," and "sawabona" is is, is 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 like "I see you," "I, I see you," and there's something really powerful mm -hmm. about you know being acknowledged um, and being seen um, that affirms 
your existence, not only on a physical level, like you're here, but also kind of on a deeper metaphysical level. Like I see your, your contribution here is, is profound. And, you know, I just want to, and that, yeah, go ahead. So I was going to add that, that it's not, it, it is actually critically important. Not just, I see you, but I see you truly. Mm. I see you on your terms. Mm. I see you and I reflect back to you a belief in, you know, your fundamental value. I see and I reflect back to you a belief in your potential. Mm. Um, uh, and that's actually really important. People who, especially during young informative years, don't receive that kind of affirmation yeah. can end up not knowing who they are and not knowing how to hear or trust their voice and intuition. And I think a lot of us um, end up having to do work in adulthood mm-hmm. around rediscovery that is a function, again, of the absence of having been truly and fully seen. In other words, seen not through the filter of somebody else's ideas about us. And that's why casting towards thriving is important because often the ideas that are imposed upon us when we're young are about our survival. Mm. I need you to be this way so that you can do okay in school. I need you to be this way so that we don't attract negative attention in public. I need you to be this way so that I can be sure that your soul will be okay. You know, there's um, so much of that is about survival, um, which makes sense. That is also a human mandate, right? It's something that drives mm-hmm. our behavior. But when we when we choose to acknowledge but not center that and we look beyond that to possibilities for fullness, wholeness, and vibrancy, then it shifts things a little bit. You know, I see you and now I'm focused on how I create and hold space for you to be fully who you are. Mm-hmm. Is a yeah. totally different thing. Totally different thing. And so I want to continue to um, affirm your work and really and, 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 and place it, at least in my mind, uh, in this long, it's just like this long intellectual uh, mm-hmm. legacy, you know, of, of, of thinking about and studying thriving and, and, and just appreciate the contribution that you make because by studying young people, especially young queer folks, young black folk, young trans folk, young question, folks who question in our, their sexual orientation and just folks who, mm-hmm. who have a different relationship to their bodies around mm-hmm. um, trying to fit into um, social structures that weren't built for them. And uh, right. that, what, that is that studying thriving there, on the one hand, is an innovation, is a conceptual innovation, and it, it's but it's also a site of new knowledge production, because we mm-hmm. learn we by by studying, and being mm-hmm. with with that community and with those babies and with those precious beings, we learn more about other dimensions of what does it mean to not just be human, but to thrive, mm-hmm. in the face of a society that continues to question whether your life matters. Um, so just want right. to wanted just to thank you there, and to also just acknowledge that a lot of the literature around uh, thriving and human flourishing, it's wonderful, but it's it's very largely white. It's very largely yeah. white, white male dominated, and very heteronormative. Um, and, I'm so glad you said that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because so much of so much of what guided my work was actually vernacular and lay discourses. Mm. on what it means to live a good life 
Mm. Um, and those com- those come from um, and dark and feminist scholars. Those come from you know aunties, right? And we've we've gone through this. These come from freedom dreamers. These come from you know um, revolutionaries, right? Refugees, mm. um, the people who have had to, as you say, sort of make a way out of no way. Exactly. That's that's you know the the academy needs this intervention, but also so much of this lives outside of the academy and should. yes, yes, and it should. Mm-hmm. You know, I just want to just acknowledge one more piece around mm-hmm. uh, the study, the thinking uh, around human flourishing and uh, and thriving is that traditionally, you know, the ways that it's been uh, treated, um, it's just very cozy and close to the political economy that has reinforced the, our capitalist okay. or, order. So thriving has always been uh, kind of in the mainstream, at least looked connected, closely connected to productivity and efficiency. Right. So you're thriving if you're, you know, you're, you're socially mobile or you're thriving if you're, you know, you're productive and can, you know, have a specific output in terms of labor that <laughs> right. contributes, contributes to the traditional metrics of growth. Um, and you know, yeah, or you're languishing if you're not participating effectively in all the systems and institutions. Yes, yep. yes, you're you're quote unquote a failure. Um, mm-hmm. and, and just want and then, and then just wanted to acknowledge that that you know we're trying to like expand the definition of what mm-hmm. and and what what better site to to get that expansion than from the hearts uh, and minds of young people who who are oftentimes in the margins. Um, I wanted to yeah. invite you to reflect on the work of our dear colleague Michael Robeson. Um, you you've read his work and you've connected uh, um, uh, with him, and he he talks a little bit about uh, ballroom culture and trans culture, and he's an incredible uh, uh, activist and ally. I have a deep appreciation for him. He's taught me so much about the trans community and. And uh, what does it mean to really be an ally? Um, so, just could you could you talk more a little bit about uh, what resonated with you in terms of his work? What happens is he talks about and centers the ballroom, the house and ballroom community, and mm. talks in particular about how these young black and brown, trans, non-binary, and queer young people, right? enact and embody a divine right to exist, which Mm -hmm. he describes as a political, theological claiming Mm. of that divine right to exist. Um, And it it is, uh, I think this is really um, in alignment with this idea of being able to simply be. Mm -hmm. And that, 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 that is something that is a fundamental right that Mm -hmm. we carry. And that one of the ways that we can understand possibilities for thriving is looking at the spaces that people in the house and ballroom community have carved out to hold that mm. divine right to exist um, and, and, have, and embody what is fundamentally political, certainly, but mm. also theological. Mm-hmm. It's uncontestable. It is, in fact, the truth. Mm. Um, that that we have the right to simply be, the right to exist. In fact, I think that Michael's work and um, 
you know, the, the ways of, of creating healing space through dance, through commemoration, through um, profound acceptance, um, through mutual support that exists in the ball uh, house communities are exemplary, right? They're, they're what we really need to look to. They're the wisdom that we need to look to when we're trying to figure out how to move forward as a society. And I say that with this caveat, that does not mean that scholars should be rolling up into these spaces uninvited. Yeah, of course. <laughs> um, but yeah, that's, that's it. It's that political theological claiming of the divine right to exist. The political theological claiming of the divine right to exist. I think it's really important yeah. to, to, and we'll, we'll kind of wrap up here, but what it's, it's so important to acknowledge that move the drawing on the theological, drawing on the mm-hmm. divine mm-hmm. to affirm mm-hmm. oneself, not to affirm oneself for the purpose of productivity or, or gaining access to some kind of uh, upward mobility, but affirming oneself for the purpose of affirming and for the purpose of just being. Um, mm-hmm. And, and <laughs> it, 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 yeah, 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 it's just a profound uh, claim. And I think that it really invites us to 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 think about thriving on a deeper level. Uh, so I, I want to thank uh, those those beautiful human beings that you were able to work with to surface this wisdom. Yes. Um, and I just want to also say that you know that because you, you alluded to it earlier, like the aunties, the other mothers, the fugitivity mm-hmm. that comes with. Mm-hmm being outside of the margins and, and the knowledge that can be produced when you're underground or a part of, you know, fugitive spaces of learning. And um, there's so much wisdom in, in, in those folks, in those communities. Mm-hmm. And, and also, I think this is also a representation of the impact uh, of Black feminist thought in our, yes. think, in our thinking. Um, it, it also a reflection of just third uh, world feminism. I'm thinking about uh, Chandra Mohanty here when mm-hmm, she writes mm-hmm. about uh, this notion of, of reading up that when we take seriously or think about the world through the lens of, 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 of women who are at the bottom of the totem pole or people who are at the bottom of uh, the structural forces at hand, we can read up the social structures and actually learn more. And actually learn mm-hmm. more about the state of affairs than if we continue to carry out research or carry out work that continues to center yes. white normative ways of being. So just right. to just thank you and allow you to respond and, and, and give us some closing comments around um, what you'd like people to take away from this conversation. Thank you. Yeah, all of that, right? All of that. Look beyond look to the margins really honor honor the wisdoms of people who um have been forced to be visionary Mm. um, but who have also taken up the beautiful work of dreaming and so much of that requires again defiance this sort of um and refusal and 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 profound bravery right and humility, right? Maybe everything that I internalize to help me figure out survival uh, is not really uh, abundant, right? Maybe it's really not quite 
where we want to go, maybe I need to re-examine and think from a perspective that is not my primary perspective. So I think that there's there's a piece of this that's an invitation to become learners um, at a deep level. There's a there's a piece of this that's about the invitation to mutuality again. That is um, when it's absent is so obviously um, part of what makes it hard for us to overcome and to be in joyful community. I think it's, I want people to know that I acknowledge how important it is to continue to pay attention to survival and healing, obviously, because those are our critical works, and that we have to balance that with dreaming and in fact, continue to hold on to the primary importance of dreaming and casting beyond survival and maintaining an attention to visionary possibilities, the possibilities of remaking, the possibilities of abolition, the possibilities of, of newness, um, which all require that we make a demand. And part of that demand fundamentally, of course, as Michael Robeson said, is our divine right to exist. Yes. That driving is what we deserve. And that's what we all deserve. Mm. And if we're not meeting the needs of our most vulnerable, we have not arrived. We mm. still have significantly more work to do. Look mm. in disability spaces, look amongst Black youth look amongst young people in um, the LGBTQ plus and same gender loving communities. We have to really pay closer attention to the ways that we're just not there yet. Yes. Um, mm-hmm. yeah, thank you so much, Sister Kia. I, I just want to acknowledge what you just said around casting beyond survival. And I just, mm-hmm. I just see us walking a, 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 a tightrope, a gentle one, at least now, mm-hmm. you know, casting <laughs> casting beyond survival towards thriving, yet also kind of riding these systems that reinforce and and, and structural inequality. So, it, right. I think I think it's one of the most prof- one of many profound challenges and questions for the next several decades is how can we thrive mm-hmm. when the systems are so inequitable. And uh, so I, I thank mm-hmm. I thank you for for excavating and, and and finding so much insight, and we welcome you back, sister. Thank you so much. Thank you. It's been a profound pleasure. <laughs>